Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun, and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists, and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy, and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Open House podcast. If you are here, you are on the third part of our epic Daddy Issues series that we have been doing over the last few weeks with the incredible Stephanie Therapy. She is a therapist who works with childhood trauma, attachment, and parental wounding. And honestly, some of the places that we have gone on the last two episodes have absolutely blow my mind. I mean, I have gone deep, deep, deep into things in therapy, but there have been things in these past two episodes that even I have not touched on with my therapist. So if you have not listened to those episodes, please go back and listen to them. Please start with our first episode together where we explore the father wound before jumping into the next part of the episode, which is how daddy issues can show up as adult issues and perhaps more importantly, dating issues. So this is going to be the final part of the episode where we explore another couple of ways that these can show up in love, in dating, and even in conflict. Daddy issues can show up as dating issues through fantasy bonding. Now, Stephanie, what is fantasy bonding? I am sure I have been guilty of it, but I would love it if you could just tell everyone what it is. Fantasy bonding is when we connect with someone based on their potential. We place a lot of responsibility onto that person. We expect them to fill that void that dad left behind. So with fantasy bonding, Louise, it happens to so many of us because we tend to meet people and we go, my void is going to be filled. This void that we've spoken about that dad left behind is now going to be filled by this person. And we place these unrealistic expectations on that person. We're desperate to break free from this feeling of being defunct or not being good enough. So we fantasize about being chosen, about being loved. And that helps us to avoid the reality of the situation. And what happens is we speed up the connection with that person and it may not be there yet. Or the other person may not be going at the same speed as us. You know, they might not be there yet and we're questioning why. So Again, placing all of those unmet childhood needs on a romantic partner. Yes, that fantasy bonding is so important. I feel like it shows up so often where someone literally just has to smile at you and you're like, that's it, that's it, that's him. He's the one, she's the one. Like, this is it, that's my soulmate. Oh my God, this is going to be the knight in shining armor that's going to save me from whatever, save me from my attachment issues, save me from the coldness of my childhood or the coldness of the relationship with my father, which we discussed in the last episode. 
So I think that is so important. And and honestly, the concept of attachment hunger, like this, this burning just need, intrinsic need for someone to pick us, save us, love us, choose us, has been such a huge part of my therapy journey and helped to, me to understand why I would attach to people so quickly when I didn't even know anything about them. And this happens, Louise, because as a child, if you learned to rely on the fantasy of a connection rather than actually experiencing it, then as adults, it makes sense why we would desire others to be more than what they are showing us. For example, if you experienced childhood emotional neglect, you had to rely on the fantasy of your needs being met to avoid the pain. Fantasy represented a source of love for you, you know, a sense of belonging, a feeling of being chosen. And if you couldn't get that growing up, if you couldn't access that, the next best thing for you was the fantasy. And that pattern extends into our adult lives. It eventually feels safer to connect with people through fantasy rather than to see who they really are. So the guy that works in banking and is emotionally unavailable, but he's got a great house, a great home and a lot of money and he's super close to his family. We build this narrative that he's ready for a family with us. And when he doesn't buy into that, because one, he's not ready for a relationship, when he's told you that, the fantasy of the connection feels safer than the reality of, this guy's not ready for me and, and all of my my emotional needs and what I bring to the table. He's just come out of a relationship. We don't see the reality because as children, the reality was too painful. So if you learn to rely on the fantasy of connection, it's what is going to come up for you in your adult relationships. Oh my goodness. This fantasy bonding is honestly absolutely crazy. Because as you were talking there, I was just like, it was spurring so many memories in my mind. Most of all, the guy that I was in a situationship with for like a year and a half after having like a two-month love affair in LA that was like incredible And then he went back to his hometown in Europe and I went back to London and we never, ever met each other again, but we'd be on the phone and we'd be like talking all the time. And you know, the funniest thing about it, this is actually crazy. He told me that he couldn't fly to London or we couldn't really meet because he had a phobia of flying. And I'm like, hun, we met in LA. So like, obviously your phobia of flying is like not that bad that you like can't get to London from whatever country you live in. And that was crazy. I was just like living this fantasy for a year and a half, honestly thinking he ticked so many boxes, but ultimately it was just so emotionally unavailable, right? Because he was avoidant and he lived in another country. So it was like me just actually playing out my own father wound repeatedly, thinking that I'm going to break this at some point. So that is one story, but the craziest story, which is not a story of mine. It's a story of one of my best friends. And I hope she doesn't mind me sharing it because it's about one of her friends. But she had a friend who met a guy on a dating app. They entered into a text relationship and they basically, I guess, were like in a relationship, but they had never met. They had never spoken on the phone. They had never FaceTimed. And like six months into it, she was like, dude, like this guy 100% is catfishing her. And I was like, yeah, 100%. Like she told me some of the sketchy information or sketchy things that had happened that very much were red flags. And I was like, yeah, for sure. Like she is 100% being catfished. Something is so off here. But she didn't. You know, she stayed and it got to a year and they'd never met in person and they'd never spoken on the phone. And then something happened where like the, they found the real guy on Raya but actually like this other person had just taken this whole man's identity off Raya, used all of his pictures, had built this fake profile 
And this girl had like been in a fake relationship with him for a year. And you've just explained it perfectly there, which is like, it was safer for her to be in this crazy situation where it was at arm's length. Everything was on text, not asking for anything from her, not having to meet her. Even if people outside of her would have been like, yo, this is crazy. Like, what are you doing? Would you say that that is like the ultimate definition of a fantasy bond? Yeah, we say it all the time, Louise. We don't speak of it because there's a lot of shame around it, but women will date criminals, people that are in prison. And you think, why are you spending your whole life waiting for someone to get out? (laughs) You know, I mean, a lot of people can probably relate to this. You know, we date people who may go to prison, fraudsters, drug dealers, because it's almost like, I know that this person can't be around for very long. And again, you know, we we keep sharing your journey, Louise, feel a bit unfair, actually, I should share some of my experiences. But with your situation, you went to boarding school, that wouldn't be unusual for you to, to date someone who was long distance or to be in another country. And so when he was saying, I've got a fear of flying, it might take you a little bit longer to register, hold on, this guy is actually not able to support my needs. You know, there's no conversation here about how this is going to move forward. And that's when we have to assess how, what am I accepting here and why am I accepting breadcrumbs so little? And it's because that's what you got from dad. Dad gave you breadcrumbs. And so it's not unusual. To somebody else, it would be like, how could she wait a year to see someone? But if her dad worked away, or if her dad was completely absent from her life, her nervous system didn't respond to that in the same way that another person's would. And again, like I said, we have these fantasy bonding situations where you meet a guy and he says he sleeps on the couch. He hasn't had sex with his wife in a year, you know, and he's just staying for the kids. And that communicates to that to that woman, you are valuable here, you're needed here. And then she gets messed around and the guy stays with his wife and you know, they go on a holiday together and they repair things or whatever. And you find out that actually they're having another baby. And you think, well, how are you having another baby? Because you told me that you weren't being intimate with each other. Because we have bought into those words because growing up, words and fantasy were all we had. I mean, it's crazy. It's just like learning so much from you. And the reason that Steph was laughing was because when she said, you know, some of us date criminals and I put my hand up. Can't wait for this podcast to finally be on YouTube one day so you guys can actually watch our video interactions um, because they're so funny. Put my hand up because, yeah, that's me. Like I, I've dated a criminal and in my defense, when I met him, I didn't know he was a criminal and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, like you said, I've been really put on blast these last few episodes because I've shared so much of me. So I'm not going to go into the criminal story today. I feel like I need a bit of respite from sharing all of all of my mistakes and all of my my wounding because I feel I feel vulnerable. So people listening, please be nice. Please be nice to me if you're listening to this episode. But yeah, that fantasy bonding piece is huge, and I think I learned my lesson that uh, being in a 1.5 year situation, waiting for someone at any moment to turn around and say it's now, I'm ready, I love you, I've been waiting all this time to be with you. Now's the time. Is something that I will never engage with again. Now, me saying I'm not going to share my past experience any further, and I look at the next point on the planning document list, which is being attracted to the wounded masculine. So the next thing that Stephanie's been teaching me about how daddy issues can show up as adult issues and dating issues is that if you've never actually experienced the healthy masculine in your childhood, then you might end up engaging with men 
as adults who are the wounded masculine, the toxic masculine, the angry masculine. And you might keep engaging with that because you never actually realized what was healthy as a child. So let's talk about how and why we can like become attracted to the bad boys or how daddy issues can show up as being attracted to these toxic men, even though maybe our dad wasn't toxic or maybe even though we know we shouldn't be attracted to someone that is like that, but we feel it. Well, first off, Louise, you even sharing that you've had those experiences. I think that's why everyone can connect with you so much because you are real and you're relatable and and we've all been there and we expect ourselves to get it perfect. I know therapists to end up in relationships that they shouldn't. It's one of those things where when you're healing and growing, you see the changes, but you're not aware that the changes are hitting you until they've hit. And so it's only when you look back and you go, oh, he was so toxic, but hindsight's a great thing. We don't see it when they when they love bombers or come to us with gifts. It would be natural for you to date someone who was a criminal because they come up as this flashy, attentive person who's got all this time on their hands and that's what you're wanting in that moment. So what we have to touch on when it comes to toxic men and the toxic masculine energy and attracting those types of men, firstly, we have to look at men just on their own, separate from women. Men today are not initiated by their fathers into manhood. They're socialized. So there's no initiation process anymore. And a lot of that is to to devalue women, to hide their emotions, to disconnect from the main vulnerable parts of themselves in order to be accepted and valued in society. So what happens is the men that are raised by emotionally absent fathers never learn to embody mature masculinity. So they are also looking for their father's validity, validation and respect. And in order to do that, they learn to take on his rigid masculine ideals. They then start to model qualities of their mother, people pleasing selflessness or codependency only in their weaker moments. So how they present to the world, Louise, is going to be, like we said, this alpha male, this big guy who goes to the gym and he's got a beard and everything that socially we believe an alpha male would be, you know, taking protein to make himself bigger, wearing suits in his in his work environment, you know, constantly feeling good, having a nice car, those things, they work towards those really fickle and material, materialistic ideals of, of what a, a masculine man should look like because they haven't been initiated into the process of, of loving women and being around women. They're not taught by their fathers how to be with and how to love a woman from a conscious, connected place. So they rely on porn, media, cultural norms, rigid gender expressions as a system of education. That's all they're going off. They're being rewarded for having a great body. They're getting the women that they want from those things that they're projecting. They're good in bed because they've been watching porn. So there's no negative consequence in their mind for being this toxic alpha male. So their physical intimacy that they have with you, men don't get intimacy. We tend to, as women, have our friendships. We cuddle, we have sleepovers, we have movie nights, we have softness around us. Men don't have that. So the only intimacy a man will have is through sex. And what happens for a woman is that when she experiences the physical intimacy, she sees his vulnerability. There's nothing more vulnerable than two people naked, him on top of you, you know, you're moaning, you're clinging to each other. The dynamic of control is shifting. You're in the throes of passion and you see him fully for who he is. 
it makes sense that if that's the only time you you have that with him, you're going to cling to that. And that's why you're going to be around people who sexually feel good. Chemistry is going to feel good for you. So you're going to be attracted to that man because the only bit of vulnerability you do get from him comes from those moments, the substitutes for emotional support and self-regulation that he relies on. You're going to tap into that. That makes total sense. And again, I am shook because you've just literally described one of my ex-boyfriends to a T. I talk a lot about how I spent many, many, many years in my 20s with a very, very abusive, toxic man that I just loved so much. I'm not going to pretend that I was the victim in the situation. I was there willingly. I was like, I love this man. The sex was unbelievable. The passion, like everything was amazing. But he was the definition of a toxic man. You know, huge beefed up gym bunny, incredible body, big penis, incredible in bed, loads of money, flashy watches, like just everything, like the definition of the toxic alpha male. But the truth was, is that he was very, very angry, very, very angry man, did not know how to love a woman, had been treated like a little emperor, a little prince as a child. And so he expected me to treat him like that. You know how it is. You're walking on eggshells because at any point you could do something like put his protein shaker on the table and like it would end up being World War Three. But I think that what was so interesting for me being in a deeply toxic relationship, which I've spoken about before, is that I saw the softness and the vulnerability on the inside of him. And whether that was right after we'd had sex or whether when we would cuddle like, oh, and that's, that's the person that I was trying to love. And I just felt like if I can just get you to be this person all of the time or more of the time, then we will be in a healthy relationship. So the whole relationship was just a fight of me trying to get to his core. And of course, the toxic alpha male, they don't want you at the core. That is deeply uncomfortable for them to be in their emotions and in their feels. So what do they do? They push you away. So yeah, I've, I've resonated a lot with the attraction to the toxic man. And I think that that's something else I've been ashamed about for a long time is like, how can you be attracted to the toxic man when your dad wasn't toxic per se? He was never angry. He wasn't flashy. My dad is just like, he wouldn't hurt a fly. He doesn't raise his voice. He's an incredibly full of integrity, kind, hardworking man. And then there was me dating this like roided up gym bunny that would like scream at me sometimes and would be abusive. Is it the chase again? Like what's going on there? What happened for you, you became a container from, for your mom's and dad's emotions growing up. Because dad didn't know how to explain them, you reassured yourself and mom validated you on how he was feeling. So it's not unusual that you would attract a partner who, who lets you lead and lets you guess and lets you wonder and lets you try and fight for that vulnerability. It's not unusual that when you did get a little piece of that, you would hold on to it. And so a man that allows you to do that, because he does not have the full ability to embrace and contain the pain and discomfort that he has, he's allowing you to do it for him. And when a man does that, you can't get deep intimacy and connection because she then has to go into her masculine. Vulnerability, Louise, is not about collapsing before your partner and spilling everything out in, ho in hopes that they'll just hold it for you. True vulnerability is shown through gradual revealing of your heart, your emotions, coupled with the ability to, to contain yourself and, and still access each other in that moment and not lose each other. You lost him at certain points in his day, in the relationship, 
and then you had access to him, which is what was recreated with dad. Dad is not an abusive person. He's not someone that would actually go out of his way to harm anyone or be violent towards you. But then what would happen is he still projected the same lack of vulnerability for himself. And so you attracted that in a partner. And so the best way we can sort of move forward is if you are around a man and he is happy for you to perform, for you to be in your masculine, if your nervous system feels dysregulated around him, that's a key sign that he is not someone who's able to hold space for you. Because a man who allows you to be in your masculine, allows you to perform, is going to be repelled by it. When you love an embodied woman, you embrace and you encourage her to be all that she is. You don't try to tame her and and to try and keep her in a box, or you don't try to get your needs met through her. You're just allowing her to be herself, to exist in that space. And if a man isn't doing that for us, we are constantly going to be trying to access, like you said, his softness, his vulnerability. And then that comes in the form of this toxic alpha male, this guy who's great in bed, this guy who shows up in the world as super strong and, and performative and star of the show. And if he is someone who has also repressed his feelings towards his mom, guess where it's going to come out? There are a lot of women being punished right now for people's mothers, for the things that people's moms did to them, men, men's moms did to them. So, you know, be be aware of the balance in the relationship, how he makes you feel about yourself, what he requires you to do. And it's so hard for women who are high functioning, who are emotionally available. It's so hard for women who do have that father wound trait where you don't ask for help because you're going to feel comfortable in a space where he's making you do everything for him because it's a false sense of vulnerability for yourself. Look at me loving him. Look at me supporting him. Look at me cooking and cleaning for him. Look at me recording his favorite programs for when he gets in from work. Look at me booking a holiday for us and Karen, you're going to have this fake sense of vulnerability and it's not, it's dysfunction. It's allowing you to show up for this person and avoid yourself. The love that we often give out to people, Louise, is what we hope to receive back. If I keep doing this for him, I'm going to get it back and it doesn't work that way. Honestly, like I'm, I'm almost lost for words with how much you're teaching me today. And that very rarely happens because this is my life and I spend my time reading and science journals and listening and some of the stuff that you're saying today. I believe the angry man is angry at their mother. And sure, maybe they'll be angry at their father too. But I've just found that the men that I've dated that are very angry, they do not have a good relationship with the feminine. And if they've never been taught to have that good relationship with the feminine, how are they ever going to just wake up one day and have a good relationship with you? Because you are the female. A lot of the time when we have broken masculine energy and, and a disconnect with dad, we attract men who have a disconnect with mom. And because he didn't see dad display healthy attitudes and behaviors towards mom, he's repressed that. So the love that you're giving is so wasted on these men. It's so wasted because they don't appreciate it. If they had a mom who broke her back and crossed her boundaries and gave her whole life to being a mother and a a partner, they're also going to expect that from you. Yes, break your back to make me happy. Yes, betray yourself to make me happy. They are molding you into someone who fits into their life. A man who is conscious, who has healthy masculine energy will not allow you to do that. Empowered masculine energy is a shield. But when this energy keeps the loving and safe presence of an embodied man at arms, like it naturally just becomes a wall. 
and it and you can't get in. And we want you to bring that wall down. And the best way that you can do that is to question your connections, question what is showing up here. How similar are they to the, who makes me feel like my mom? Who makes me feel like my dad? It's asking those questions, and and that's what I would um, that's what I would take from that, Louise. Like you said, we're connecting so much here, and I'm sure if you're connecting, other people are listening and going, oh, "That's me. That's me." I don't doubt that they are, and I, I really hope they are, but I know that they will be. And I think that as we sort of move into the very last section of the series and of this episode, we're going to go where everyone probably expected us to go first. And I think that it's really great that we left it to last because I love how, you know, yes, this is what everyone thinks, but actually there are so many other parts of daddy issues and the father wound that people don't expect and that we've prioritized them. So let's get into it. This hypersexualization, the sleeping with people too soon. And I can't wait for us to navigate this because it's something that I am only just healing now, I would say, with such a healthy partner who is sexually disciplined, who doesn't expect anything from me. He is so deeply respectful. Yeah, the hypersexualization. My whole life, I felt like I have to be sexy. I have to give my body. My body has to look great. I have to do the things that I don't want to do. I have to give the dirtiest, you know, sex acts or do the positions and the things. Like, I don't want to have anal sex. Like, I don't like anal sex. It's painful. Like, there's nothing about me that I find that attractive or whatever. And yeah, it's absolutely fine if you do. But do you know how many women have anal sex because they think that their partner like wants them to have to do that? And if they don't, that they're going to watch it on porn or they're going to do it with someone else or they're going to cheat on them. I don't want to do those things that are like upsetting and painful for me but I've done it my whole life, like doing things that I don't want to do. Like I remember once this guy, and again, sorry, we're getting quite graphic here, but I remember once that I hooked up with this guy. I was so young. I was at university. He was so handsome. He literally, it's quite funny in a very not funny way. He literally slapped me round the face with his penis. Now, the reason I'm laughing is because it's actually shocking. Like, what the fuck? Like, I've never before that or after that been dick slapped round the face with someone's massive hard penis. No, I'm laughing because I've been dick slapped. And it's it's so it's so degrading. It's there's no purpose behind it. It's it's literally like and then there's no after part. There's no there's no normal reaction to being dick slapped. But do you know what? It actually hurts so much. I was like shocked. It, it hurts so fucking much. But the saddest thing is that I genuinely like wanted to cry because I went into shock. But you're there with someone that you don't know and they've just dick slapped you with their big, hard erection and your face is hurting and you want to cry. You've been violated. But also you're like, we're both like crying and laughing at the same time. Yes. There's no sexy moment after that. So say, for example... The, you know, with sex, this this movement into the next. You know, it, it flows, doesn't it? You can't flow after the dick slap. This, the, nothing comes out, so it happens, and then you can't you can't recover quick enough because it you just been violated. It's it's like so it's it's violating. It's so bad. It is so bad. Like, and that's obviously a funny story that I'm glad that we're laughing about and that we've both been there because there's also a lot of not funny stories that I've been in situations of around consent and boundaries. And 
we're not going to go into them today because like I said, I'm too exhausted like sharing my trauma and my mistakes Everything. with you guys because we've recorded these episodes back to back to back. So by now we're in like hour three of this incredible deep dive. So I like it that we're, we're staying there with the funny dick slap because it's, yeah, it's fucking violating. And as soon as it happens, I didn't have a voice. I didn't, wasn't able to say, what the fuck are you doing to me? Now I would genuinely be like, what is wrong with you? Get out of my house. Never speak to me again. You've just disrespected me, violated me. You clearly have no respect for the female, for the feminine. But 15 years ago, I didn't have that vocabulary. I probably didn't even have that vocabulary five years ago. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Like, what is it about daddy issues that show up as us doing things we don't want to do or accepting things that are deeply upsetting or violating just so we maintain the visage, visage? I don't know if that's right, the word facade is maybe what I mean. Maintain the facade <laughs> of, <laughs> of being sexy. What is going on there? Well, first off, Louise, we can't speak about hypersexuality without mentioning first neurodivergency and uh, personality disorders, because they are huge indicators that you may have something else at play, ADHD, autism, and borderline personality disorder. So engaging in risky behaviors, so often when we have ADHD or personality disorder, our dopamine levels can get really low. The receptors, there's a, a change in the synapse. And the hypersexuality is just another way for us to get that dopamine hit. So we engage in risky behaviors, similar to spending a lot of money, aggressive behaviors. The quickest way to get the dopamine levels back up is going to be through sex. So we have to touch on that. Again, looking at risky behaviors, hypersexuality is having this unusual high sex drive trigger warning, then we can also have this part where we have been sexually abused or sexually violated by our fathers or by a male member of our family or just, you know, like we said in childhood. So there are going to be people listening to this. And again, trigger warning, there are going to be people that didn't just have the emotionally avoidant father, the father that just wasn't in the home. Are going to be people who have father wounds because they were completely violated by their fathers. And that experience in itself, I work with it a lot in my practice and I see how detrimental it is to a woman's safety and her ability to want a family and all of those things. So looking at it from that perspective, first off, the most important sort of focus that we should put there is that hypersexuality can sometimes be a way of regaining your control. So regaining your body autonomy. So whereas with someone with ADHD, sex can bring about a feeling of calmness with someone who has been a victim of sexual trauma, the sex is going to give them power and control. So there's two different outcomes there. When we are talking about someone who is just a very sexual person or uses sex as a way to connect with the partner, Again, it's a similar concept of control. It's almost like I am here to show you that this is one area I can dominate. And if we've had mothers who, for example, didn't have much control in the home, or we had controlling fathers or dominant fathers, it can be that that was one area we learned. We were able to keep the control, maintain control in the relationship and meet that person's physical needs. Again, it's that pick me energy, that energy of, if I outwardly display who I am rather than 
work from the inside out. I'm going to be able to connect with you and get that intimacy from you. And I'm not going to have to give much else. And, you know, it's unfair for you to just share your experiences on here, Louise. I, I want to share some of my own because I know it will help people. When I had my daughter, I know that my my ex, her, her father was out cheating on me. And I had this message in my mind that if I stopped doing certain things or if I gave more of certain things that he would stop cheating on me. And that's not how cheating works. He was suffering with his own battles, his own mental health problems and his own trauma wounds. And so I would do really silly things like sending videos just randomly all the time. I would dress up in underwear that I didn't want to wear. I actually convinced myself that I liked oral sex, giving oral sex. I don't. I actually prefer receiving it. But back then at 23, I didn't know that. I used to tell him, I I love going down on you. Can't wait for you to get home so I can go down on you. And I didn't. I was lying to myself. I wanted something back from him. And that was the only time I could really feel that connection. And I know so many people do that. I had a conversation with my sister and I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. I'm sure she won't. But she said the same to me. She was like, oh, I just love going down on guys. I hate receiving it. And I said, but that's because when you're receiving it, you've been taught as a little girl to be accommodating, kind, thoughtful, loving. All of that conditioning takes place and you feel guilty for taking space to enjoy it. How many of us have been enjoying it, but then we think, just fake it, get past it so that I can actually please him and then we can go to sleep and then I'll sort myself out. Because we feel guilty taking up that space. We feel bad that it's taking him too long, that he's going to get tired, you know? Everything you say, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, thank you for sharing that. That was so deeply vulnerable. And I'm I'm so grateful for you sort of showing up in this space of vulnerability with your truth. You will help so many women and men listening to this. And it reminded me of when I think her name is Aubrey O'Day. She was on the Call Her Daddy podcast. She used to, she's an American reality star that used to date Paulie D from Jersey Shore. And she said that she used to fuck him so much that she basically was like trying or like, what did she say? Like, I'd fuck him so much that he was too tired to ever go and fuck someone else. And that's kind of what you're saying is like, if you give and give and give and give and give and and you're trying to like stop them from doing something else, like that is also, you know, a huge area to look into. And I think that that's deeply toxic and traumatic for everyone involved. But I think also what was so interesting is as you were talking about the hypersexuality is that I was seeing it visually as like this sliding scale between like hypersexuality. So like you said, potentially the insanely high sex drives and the personality disorders and the ADHD, which that end of the spectrum, like the hyper hypersexuality, which is definitely not where I would ever say I've sat. Like I have a normal sex drive. I'm never like, oh my God, I have to fuck. Like I have to have sex. Like I have to, have to do it, do it, do it, do it again, do it now, do it in public. You know, that's never been me. So I think it's interesting to see it as this sliding scale of like hypersexuality down there on the more severe end of the spectrum and then sliding across to the more like pick me, love me, choose me energy where it's like, I'm going to do these things. So you pick me, love me, choose me and don't leave me. Well, that's the thing, Louise. What we have to be mindful of is the purpose of why we're doing it. So the sex that I now have in my relationship is built on trust and vulnerability and it's built on my needs being met as well. You know, and there are certain conditions that, that have been sort of broken in my own mind of, you know, 
even things like outfits, dressing up, you know, like how toxic things are in you know, school uniforms. Why? Why are we conditioned mm. to think that that's okay? And we all buy into it. We've all gone to Anne Summers in the past and we've and we've done certain things. And, you know, again, on a personal level, some of the sex toys, you know, they don't even, they cater to, to what men would visually like. They don't cater to us physically. I know we're, we're sort of, we've moved ahead in the times now and, and a lot of the, the sex toys out there are catered to us as well. But sometimes some of these, toys, I'm like, that's not going to do anything for me. You know, that doesn't work because we haven't got to know our bodies. So we take that on. And again, it falls under that conquering men bracket. I know how to conquer a man. Same way with my ex and my daughter's dad. I knew that to keep him home, I had to have lots of sex. I knew that to keep the family together, I had to have lots of sex. When I stopped doing that, the family home broke. It, it fell apart. And like we said with the ADHD, it's definitely another topic for us to cover, but that's hyposexuality. And hypersexuality is this extreme sort of compulsion towards sex, physical needs. It might be a guy saying, hey, I'm going to take you out for dinner tonight. And you're like, no, let me just come over to your house and fuck. We don't know if that's what you really want. It just means that you are positioning yourself there because you don't think that anything else before that is either deserved or warranted or you don't know how to connect with someone at dinner. You, Your best foot forward for you is going to be sexually. And that's what some of us are doing. And when we're in our masculine energy and we pay our own bills and we own our own homes and we're driving our own cars, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to call someone up and be like, come round, but it's usually like you said with casual sex we're left feeling lonely vacant we feel like there's this huge vacuous hole left within us where it hasn't been filled so guess what we do again we reach out to that person again it's the same emotionally available person and when we're hypersexual that compulsion towards using sex for that connection it's just you trying to access one some vulnerability within a male figure and two trying to access that intimacy within yourself because the chances are you're not good at being alone with yourself you're not good at having conversations with your inner child and you probably haven't believed that your needs were important for a very very long time yeah some profound points there thank you again for sharing I just I feel like you know I always talk about the relationship I'm in now probably as being the healthiest by far that I've ever been in. And I just want to share with people that, you know, if you're listening to this thinking like, there is no way that I could be in a relationship where I could wear granny pants and not send nudes and make porno videos because he'd go off and do something with someone else or she'd go off and do something with someone else. I want you to know that it is possible. Like I literally wear the biggest cotton granny pants from M&S ever. Like every single day that I have like 20 of them, 10 black, 10 white. Yes, I wear them for comfort, but also it's just like my partner like doesn't care. Like he's going to take them off me anyway. So it doesn't really matter what I'm wearing. And, you know, someone in the past made a joke to me before. He was like, you know, do, do you actually own any nice, any nice underwear? And I was like, no, like I, I actually don't own any nice underwear. But the, the amazing thing is, it's like, I have confidence like in that. Yeah, it's just um, ugly. But, but again, it's marketing, ugly. isn't it, Louise? It's marketing. It's, you know, even my partner, he, I will look so disgusting, Louise. Like my hair will just be like greasy <laughs> and I've worked all day and I've just made dinner and I smell like soup. And he'll be like, he'll be grabbing me and I'm like, my conditioning kicks in and I'm like, don't, I need to wash my hair. Or even sometimes yeah, the guy yeah. is intimate with you and you've not showered. and. He's like, yeah. I'm like, 
why don't you care? You know, it's the conditioning that we've been given and, and we do, you know, we all carry that and we try and be perfect. And it it's, that's not real vulnerability. Real vulnerability is having that intimacy when, you know, not beyond the sex, you know, at times when you're sick and they may be feeding you or helping you or maybe, you know, they're helping you with your business. It's going to be vulnerability in all aspects. We can't rely on intimacy and vulnerability just between the sheets. It's not enough. It's not enough because it's going to lead you to constantly getting into bed to try and feel something. And I think that another thing is that, you know, whilst we're on this topic of some of the more, I guess, deeper and darker parts of the daddy issues around the sexualization and, you know, I think that unfortunately the performance for the male gaze and putting out very quickly or sleeping with someone very quickly does increase your likelihood of having deeply triggering traumatic, you know, incidents of sexual assault. We we can end up in these situations where, again, we've got an inability to, to say no. We don't know how to say no. We don't know how to set boundaries because we weren't able to say no to mum and dad when they were controlling towards us. We had no space in the home to be, um, to articulate our needs. On top of that, women, one of the, the huge features of women with a father wound is the freeze response. It comes up all the time. So we have delayed reactions. It's kind of similar to uh, PTSD where people who go to fight in a war they will delay the, the the feelings that they're having. So missing their family, being afraid, they'll delay that. So that is a key symptom as well in women with father wounds. So it may be that you've been in unsafe situations and the guilt that you carry isn't that you didn't say no, it's that you carried on with it. And that now has led to you, not, not that you have a mistrust for, for men completely, but you have a mistrust for yourself. I stayed in that situation. I stayed in that relationship. I allowed the sex to carry on. I didn't feel good. And we carry that as guilt and we carry that as shame. We don't carry that as I hate men and men are unsafe. We go, what was it about me that didn't stop that from happening? And we internalize that, which we've been taught to do. And the first man that I dated after the relationship with my daughter's father, he would sit me down after we'd been out together, Louise, and remove my shoes. He'd take my shoes off. He would make me breakfast. And I was so uncomfortable with it. Sometimes we're the toxic ones. I remember the first time we were intimate. I asked him for a certain way. And he said, I don't want to do it like that. And it was hard and fast. And, and I was like, yes, you do. And I was saying everything that I'd said with my ex, you know, all that dirty talk, letting it all come out, that disgustingness, just being filth. And he was like, I don't like it like this. I feel disconnected from you. And I was embarrassed because I was being toxic. I'd relayed what my ex had liked in those connections. So I want people to be mindful that sometimes we are repeating behaviors and patterns that we think are normal. We're not always going to get that unsafety feeling. We're not always going to have that red flag come up for us. We're not always going to have our intuition tell us to get out. Sometimes we may go into a situation and think that we're doing something that that person likes and we've just learned it, just learned behavior. Thank you for sharing that. I think so many women will relate to that. We just don't talk about it. The things that we do, the things that we don't do, the freeze response. I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but yeah, my 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 sexual assault involved the most insane freeze response that's taken me many, many years to forgive myself for that actually I couldn't not have said no. It's that my body couldn't say no because I had fully shut down. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's the perfect place to wrap is like the understanding for anyone that's listening to this, that there are healthy relationships out there, high value men and women 
who will love you for your granny pants and who don't want to pull your hair and spank you constantly and make you do things that you don't want to do. And yeah, sure, that's fun on occasion. Like, that's great if if that works for you, but not all the time and that it doesn't have to be aggressive. And if something doesn't feel good for you, you don't have to do it and you don't have to sleep with your partner so they don't go and sleep with someone else. There are high value men and women out there who will love and respect you so much that will translate into the bedroom, into the sexual realm, into the sexual sphere as well. And like Stephanie said, it can be very uncomfortable to work out who you are in the bedroom when you're not performing, who you are without the lingerie, without the sex toys. And it can be very uncomfortable just to receive and just to be loved and to not think that a healthy calm sex life is boring. We think that they might be boring if if we're not doing all this crazy stuff and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's the perfect place to end. I mean, I just think this is one of the most important episodes we have ever, ever done. But honestly, I am so grateful for everything that you have done and, and brought to this table. You're amazing. And everything you shared today has been Thank incredible. You, you are amazing. And you and I do have that great energy. We've said this, you know, we're in synergy. And I think the only thing I can sort of offer to people now is, you know, just start, just start looking at your relationships. We touched on this in the first episode. Your parents do not have to be monsters for you to acknowledge that an experience happened for you and how you interpreted it is now what's become your blueprint for your future relationships or your current relationships. And even for those who are in relationships and, and struggling to maintain them, communication, all of that, it all stems back from, from those two people how they communicated, how they loved you and how they loved each other. And there has to be complete empathy, not just for others, but for yourself. And forgiveness, like you said, Louise, being able to forgive yourself for the times that you didn't know better and and for, for the people that didn't know how to love. And breaking that cycle is huge because it stops here. Anyone listening to this now is, in a sense, a cycle breaker because your behavior is moving forward. They're going to change. You're going to see things differently. Amazing. Thank you so much. So as ever, if you're listening, all of Stephanie's info is going to be linked in the show notes. And please message us, let us know how you got on with this incredible deep dive that we've just done. If you took value, please, please do drop a review for the podcast on Apple or Spotify so we can reach more people with this incredibly important information. Please go and give Stephanie a follow over on Instagram and on TikTok. And Yeah, let us know how you got on. But most of all, Steph, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Louise. And again, I hope everyone gets started on this journey and it's baby steps. Healing is not linear. Compassion for yourself and for others and good luck with that journey. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. 
With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Cilias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.